0: you're listening to the cathedral podcast to learn more about cathedral like service times or how to get connected with a small group visit wearcathedral.com
1: so privileged to be here this morning. Before I say anything, my mom raised me in a way that she said, when you go into someone's home, you always acknowledge the parents. I I I bet you I have some parents in the room that when your son or your daughter brings over one of their friends that don't acknowledge you, you're like, never invite them over ever again. They're rude, they're evil, and I don't want them around, okay? But my mom raised me, when you go into another person's home, the first thing you do is that you honor the parents of the house. And so I like to take that principle and apply it to church so before I say anything, I just want to honor your pastors because I know that we are blessed with the pastors that we have. Can we just give it up for Pastor Dave, Pastor Megan, Pastor Luke, Pastor Macy, the whole family? Can we just stand up and honor our pastors and just tell them thank you? It's so hard being a pastor. It's hard leading in this community, but we love you guys. We appreciate you, all the things that you do and your incredible families as well. We love you guys so much. As as he said, my name is Tyshawn Rowland. I have a privilege of being an evangelist. I live in Gainesville, Georgia. I serve at Free Chapel under the incredible Pastor Jensen Franklin. So if you ever have a chance to come to Gainesville, listen, I can get you a front row seat. I don't know if you can meet him though, but listen, we can go to a Waffle House after and then we'll just hang out and we'll talk. And so it'll be such an honor to be with you. I'm married for five years in November into an incredible woman. She's not with me. Um, Her name is Victoria Rowland. She is actually at church right now serving the four year olds in our nine o'clock service at Free Chapel. We do not have children, but I do have a dwarf dog. His name is Ghost after the Holy Ghost because I take Jesus seriously. And he's the best (laughs) dog in the world. And, And I'm so privileged and I never travel I have my, like, literally like a little brother with me. His name is Daniel Stango. Daniel, can you stand up? 25 years old, young man, preacher. <laughs> stay standing, Daniel, stay standing. <laughs> ladies, listen, all right? I'm just joking, you can sit down, you can sit down. But, uh, but for real though, ladies, he is single. Listen, I can put his, uh, his stuff out there. Okay, he's 25, uh, all right, he's a man of God. But the most important thing, he has a good credit, y'all. Y'all looking for a co-signer? <laughs> Y'all looking for a coast? I'm trying to buy a house, you know what I'm saying? And so um, I am so excited to be here with you today and to have, um, to be able to be connected because of Forward Conference is such a blessing too. And so for all the parents that sponsored your children and sponsored even people um, to other people's children that come to forward we want to say thank you because it's so amazing to see what God continues to do every year when we go to Atlanta. You get 13,000 young people together and if you haven't had a chance to go and you're like, I would love to check it out. Listen, we're always looking for volunteers. Listen, so if you want to come check it out, we would love for you to just come and serve because it's such an incredible thing but I'm so excited for the word who's excited for the word today uh, I want to give you an opportunity that you can uh, double dip if you ever want to double dip I'm speaking a different message next service and um, so if you're like hey I really like them you know let me say next service or if you hate this sermon just come next service well, You can't hate both of them you know one of them has to speak to you and if neither speak to you you have a demon my friend so uh, <laughs> I'm just joking you don't have a demon some of you though could. Um, I'm going to be reading out of Joshua chapter six, Joshua chapter six. I'm going to be reading uh, five verses, I believe. And so I'm going to read verse one through four. Then I'm going to jump to verse 20. And as I preach, I'll, 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 I'll fill in the, in between. So Josh, Joshua chapter six, verse one, and it reads now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and its mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city. All the men of war are going around the city at once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And I'm going to jump the verse 20, and it says this, so the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. I wanna preach a simple message entitled, Before You Shout. Before you shout, could you bow your heads and pray? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to share your word. Lord, I just pray that you use me to speak to your people. God, I pray that you speak to us. God, I thank you that you have the ability to change people's perspective in a moment. And I pray that you use me, a willing vessel in this moment, to speak to your sons, to speak to your daughters. And God, I pray that we do not leave the same. In fact, I pray that we leave full of faith that even if our circumstance does not change, God, I thank you that we are going to change. And God, for the people that do not know you, I pray that by the end of this service that they put their faith in you. In the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. everybody said, Amen, amen and amen. Um, I had an incredible opportunity that was afforded to me last year to go to Israel, which is probably the biggest flex as a Christian. I'm not gonna lie. When a Christian tells you they've been to Israel, it's like a, It's almost like a football like fan telling you I went to the Super Bowl, you know, and I had this opportunity to go to Israel last year and it was one of the most eye opening experiences I've ever had in my life. If you want to go, I encourage you to go because it's one thing to understand the context of the scripture, but it's a whole nother thing to understand the context of the scenery and, and I, I was taken to places where Jesus walked. I went to the Sea of Galilee. I went to Apostle Peter's house. I went to the tomb. I went to the Garden of Gethsemane. I went to all these div- different places, and we had this tour guide. His name was Ron. Ron was dope, y'all. Ron was so smart. He would just say all these facts about Jesus and history and, and things, and he would take us to different places. I went to the famous short king's house. I went to David's palace, y'all, and I couldn't believe it. It was so, amazing. And throughout our tour guide, throughout our tour, he would just give some wisdom every now and again. He would drop some facts that we would need to know. We didn't get a chance to see everything. But at one point, he would begin to talk about Jericho. And what you need to understand about any preachers, for every preacher in the room, you will agree with me, is that we're always listening. We're always listening. You have to be listening because sometimes God can speak to me through the Bible. Sometimes God can speak to me through a conversation. Last night we were at dinner, and I don't know where she at. Where is your daughter at? Is she is she here? Where is she at? Where is she at? Where is she at? How are you doing? Um, last night we went out to dinner, and it's... Uh, Blakely. And Blakely yesterday was just talking. And as she was talking, the Lord was speaking to me about things in my life. And I always have to be in tune to God speaking. And sometimes I'm always looking for help on sermons too. I'm not going to lie. It's hard out here. I got to make sure that the things I'm saying are helpful. I got to make sure the things I'm saying are biblical and not just entertaining, but also true. And he said something that as soon as he said it, I was like, I'm not gonna preach on this immediately, but there's something about it that that my spirit jumped. And he began to talk about Jericho. We didn't go there, but he said, a lot of people don't know this, that the city of Jericho is the lowest city in the world, even to this day, I'm not lying. If you don't believe me, Google it, because a lot of people will be doing that during sermons anyway, just go ahead and Google it. And you will see that Jericho is the lowest city in the wall. And something that Ron said, and Ron's not a preacher, he's a tour guide, but he said, it's interesting that the lowest city had the highest walls. And when I thought about that, I was like, isn't it interesting that when you are in the lowest season of your life, you feel like you have the highest hurdles to overcome? Sometimes it's interesting. It's like when life gets hard, it's like God and, the, and life and the enemy, they all are just throwing more hurdles. And you're like, it should be easier in a low season. Yet in the low season, God is still requiring us to break down high walls. And when you think of Jericho, you should think of Joshua because Joshua is the character that I was reading about this morning. See, Joshua is important. If there's anybody in this room and you're taking over something, if you're walking into something and you're taking over a business or you're taking over a ministry, or maybe you just took over a church, I don't know, and you're stepping into something great, Joshua is a good character for you to learn from because Joshua took over for his predecessor named Moses. Now, I don't have time to tell you all about Moses, but I can tell you to go home and download Prince of Egypt. I'm not saying that it substitutes the word of God, but it's pretty much accurate, y'all. So, And it's a really good movie. I watched it the other day. And so Prince of Egypt, you see a lot about Moses, but in the Bible Moses is a prolific character. He is the person that God raises up to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And he delivers the Israelites out of Egypt and he begins to take them into the promised land. And over a million people begin to follow this character named Moses. Moses did some phenomenal things. He split the sea. He struck the rock. He saw God speak to these incredible people. He gave them commandments he began to lead Moses is amazing and Joshua had to take over for Moses there was multiple people that could have took the job but God said Joshua I'm choosing you I'm choosing you to do it and I don't know who I'm talking to but I want to let you know yes it's you Yes, God has chosen you for this opportunity. Yes, God chose you for this family. Yes, God chose you for this job. Yes, God chose you. And oftentimes we have to get over the fact that God chose us because we want God to choose everybody else because we think everybody else is qualified except for us. But God said, Joshua, I'm using you. And he raises up Joshua and Joshua begins to accept the call. We see this in chapter one. And in chapter 2, we see Joshua do something. The Bible says that there was some land, and he wanted to see what was going on with that land, so he sent in the spies. So he sends them some spies to look at that land. Well, it makes sense because Moses, when he was a leader in Numbers chapter 14, there was some land he wanted to see about, and the Bible says that he sent in 12 spies. One of these spies was Joshua. So Joshua said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do what Moses did. Moses sent in some spies? I'm going to send in some spies. And then we'll see this in chapter three and chapter four, that the Bible says that Joshua stood in front of dry ground. And just like his predecessor, Moses, he split the seat. He didn't even do it with a staff. And what's so interesting is that nobody preaches about it because it's not as cool as doing something the first time. You know, the first time someone splits the seat, it's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he split the seat. And the second time it's like, yeah, I've been there, done that. Bro. I don't care. Who cares? You're not MJ. Who cares? You're not the first person to do it. So Joshua begins to follow the call with his leader. Something that Moses did with the people is that the Bible says that manna would rain every day except on the Sabbath. The people were hungry. God would just drop down food. Imagine if that's how it was right now. Lord Jesus, I miss those days. God, give me food and just Chick-fil-A just right there. Be the biggest blessing. Not on Sundays, though, you know, but just every other day. And under Joshua's leadership, the manna ceased. So imagine being Joshua for a moment. You sent in spies like Moses, you split the sea like Moses, but now the man has stopped. I think this was a moment where Joshua had to look at his life and say, I don't know if I can mimic Moses forever. And I think what happens to a lot of people that get positioned like Joshua is that instead of being the person God has called you to be, you mimic your favorite leader. You mimic your favorite person. And some of us can't be the person God has called us to be because we're too busy trying to be the person that he called another person to be. And everyone has a Moses, by the way. Even ministers, we are not exempt from mimicking. I've had a privilege to serve incredible ministries all of my life. And if I'm honest, every minister that I've served under, I've had God remind me, Taishan, you don't need to be like them. I'm not calling you to be them. But God, I want to be them. Well, you're not them. Well, God, I want to be cool and, you know, tall and play the sax like Jensen. Well, you're short and you're you're, you're black and you're not going to play the sax. You're going to be Tyshawn. (laughs) And sometimes I got to accept that Tyshawn is enough. Sometimes you got to accept that who you are is enough. And so many of us, we look at our life and we look at our life through the lens of the call that he's given us as if we are not qualified for it. Listen, I heard this when I was younger and I will never forget it. It was by a woman named Christine Kane. And she said, God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the call. And so when God calls you, he will qualify you. He will teach you things along the way. Just accept the call, Joshua. Just walk in it. And that's exactly what Joshua was doing. He got to this point where he couldn't mimic Moses anymore. He couldn't just keep doing the things he saw. Eventually, he came to this place where he had to follow an original instruction. God brought him to this city, and he says, hey, Jericho, I'm going to give you the city. What's so interesting about this is that if you look at the life of Moses, Moses kept the people wandering. They never had a resting spot. They saw a lot of miracles. They saw God do a lot of things, but they never had rest. They never took a city. They were promised a city, but they never took a city. And now God is raising up Joshua to do something that his predecessor has never done. And anyone that's positioned for anything today, the only reason God has put you there is not to repeat the miracles from the past, but to show you that there's new miracles for the future that he has for you in the ministry that's in front of you. So Joshua gets in front of the people and God gives Joshua a word. And the word is this, Joshua... I am going to give Jericho into your hands. I will deliver the king and its armies. You're not going to have to fight. You're not going to have to lift a finger. You're not going to have to worry. But I'm going to give you some instructions, Joshua. Very, very simple. And Joshua's like, all right, I'm ready. Tell me what I got to tell the people. He says, walk around that city seven times. And in fact, he said, walk around the city once for six days. And on the seventh day, walk around the city seven times. So we, I hear a lot of people preach this and we preach it with faith as if Joshua goes over to the people and they think what he says makes sense. But imagine being Joshua and you get all these people. The Bible says he inherited over a million people. So he has to get in front of these people and he's like, hey guys, first meeting. First off, we're going to take a city. They're like, woo! I'll tell you how we're going to do it. They're like, hey, I got swords. He's like, put those down. Someone's like, I got rocks. That's ghetto, put those down. Say, so how are we going to do it, Joshua? Oh, it's crazy. We're going to, uh, we're going to walk around it. And then do, out, do what? After. Then we're going to walk around it again. And then on seventh day, we're going to do that seven times. I bet you everyone was like, I miss Moses. Because <laughs> Moses had people marching somewhere. Moses said, follow me. We're going there. These are good cameras. Y'all following me? (laughs) But Joshua had people walking around. And when you walk around something, you actually don't feel like you're progressing at all. See, sometimes moving forward gives the illusion of progress, but it's not always progress. But Joshua had them walking around. And he didn't have everybody walking around, by the way. Only the people that were above the age of 20 and who were men were qualified, so I want you to know there was a split. Any man that was under the age of 20, and every woman was watching these men walk around. Imagine this. Joshua is getting about 600,000 men together. Get in order, guys. About to walk around these walls. Meanwhile, there are some women in the back with some young children holding their babies, like, look at these idiots, Just what are they doing? He said, if you walk around the wall, it'll fall. Man, Lord, be with us, you know. (laughs) And when I was reading this story, the first question I had was, how long did it take to walk around the city? The city was over 450,000 square feet, which is not that big. But again, it wasn't one person walking around. He had to get a team of men, over 600,000 men, in order. When I was doing my study, a.k.a. Googling, I looked up how long would it have take for all these men to walk around these cities? And the, and the estimate that I got was anywhere between an hour and a half up to three hours just walking around. Which is interesting because that means on the seventh day when they walk around seven times, how long did it take them to walk around that wall? They probably got to the point where they were walking for so long, they stopped counting, stopped looking at the clock. You know you've been following God for a long time when you lost count. You know you've been believing for something for a long time when you don't even remember when you started believing for it. Joshua said, I need you guys to walk around. And for six days straight, the men would get up, and they would walk around. And I would think, you would think that, every walk you would see a change. You would think that, okay, the first time I walk around, nothing happens, but maybe by Thursday I'm going to see some rubble. Maybe see some shaking or something. But even by the time they get to the seventh day, they are still like, nothing changes. I think this is an image of what it's like actually to follow God. I think actually this is an image of what it's like to believe God for a promise. See, I'm going to talk about shouting at the end and I want you to get your vocal cords ready because we will be doing some shouting. I am black. We are loud. We shout. That's what we do. We get loud and we praise God. So you are going to be black by the end of this service and we're going to give God a shout. Someone's been waiting for that all day. They're like, I've been waiting for my moment. But the thing is, shouting is something you do for a moment. But For seven days, they had to do something that had nothing to do with shouting at all. You shout for seven seconds, but what do you do all the other times? You walk in obedience. And you know what I think the problem oftentimes is in our life? Is that we think that if we shout, everything will be fixed. But if you shout on Sunday and you sin like crazy on Monday, it doesn't matter that you're shouting, it doesn't matter. Because God is looking for your obedience. And obedience is simple, but oftentimes obedience is mundane. God says, I have a word for you. I'm not asking you to break the walls down. I'm not asking you to go talk to the king. I'm not asking you to make it happen. I don't know who this is for, but maybe God put something in your heart. He put a dream or he gave you a vision and you're like, God, I need you to make it happen. I'm going to try to make this happen for you, God. God will never give you an image so you can make it happen. He will only give you an image to show you what he's going to do. The thing that you have to trust is that your simple obedience will unlock the thing that you're believing for. So the question is what is God asking of me in this season? And you know, like the, a lot of times when we start following God, it can get complicated. What am I supposed to do? What is the goal of a Christian, a daily believer? I just put my faith. I was hearing Pastor talk that there's been a lot of salvations. Now that you're saved, you're probably wondering, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to live this Christian life? What is my obedience? What is my thing that I'm supposed to do? I'm glad that you're thinking like that because in Matthew 22, God, Jesus gives us actually what every Christian should do. The Bible says there were some Pharisees and some Sadducees. These were people that were experts of the law. What was interesting, they didn't serve in the church, but they were experts of the law. They didn't give any sacrifices, but they were experts of the law. They actually never sowed or did anything, but they were experts of the law. It's like people that judge churches but never go to them. It's like people that judge pastors but they've never been in the position before. It's like people that come up with what a pastor and what a preacher and what a church should look like, but you never stepped foot in the church, you never served the church, never gave to the church, but you're telling everybody what the church should be doing and how they should be living and what they should be doing with the money. Hey, you're not the leader. If God wanted you to do it, he would position you to do it, but he didn't. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they didn't like Jesus because it was interrupting their idea of what their religion should be. Now, they were very similar. The difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, though, is that the Sadducees, they had some money. OK, they were they were the experts of the law. They didn't care about the spiritual stuff. Don't talk to me about afterlife. Don't talk to me about angels. Don't talk to me about demons. Just keep it simple. I know the law. And so they come together and they try to trick Jesus about taxes. Jesus, OK, what should we do for taxes? And he answers. And they're like, man. He answers the question in a way that we didn't think he was going to answer. So then they, they come together. The first time we ever see them come together Matthew 22, they come together and like, hey, we got to figure out we got to figure out how to trap him. If we can figure out how to publicly dishonor him, because honestly, in back in the day, if you could stump somebody publicly, you won. So the goal was always try to get Jesus to be stumped. So they get together and they said, OK, hey, I know what we're going to ask him. And they had a lawyer present. They said, hey, go ask him what's the most important law. Because if he asks him the most important law and it's not what we believe, then we'll win. Now, a lot of people think that he had about 10 options. Do not kill, do not steal, do not covet, do not have idols. But there was actually way more than 10 commandments. There were 613. So they asked Jesus, Jesus, what is the most important law? And instead of picking up the 613, he add two to the list that actually fulfill all 613. And it says to love your God with all your mind, heart, and spirit, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. If you want to know now that you're saved what you're called to do, you're called to love God, and you're called to love people. That's it. That's all you have to worry about. Every day, wake up, say, I'm going to love God, and I'm going to love people. I'm going to serve God, and I'm going to serve people. It's not more complicated than that. That is all God is asking of you. That is all God requires of you. But oftentimes, obedience is mundane. When you've just been walking around something, when you know God has something for you. And I'm not that old. I'm only 30 years old. But I have seen God promise me things in my life. And the instructions that come with the promise never make sense. Hey, Tyshawn, I'm going to do that for you. But I need you to go over there. But don't you... Excuse me, God, but the miracle's right there. Yeah, I know, but I need you to go over there. But God, shouldn't you put me in proximity of the promise? No, because if I put you in proximity of the promise, you're actually going to manipulate it, you're going to ruin it, you're going to make it about you. In fact, what I got to do is I got to pull you away from the promise. And so when I pull you away from the promise and I give it to you, everyone will know that the only reason you got it is because I gave it, not because you manipulated for it. So I want you to walk in obedience. Walk in obedience. And we see this that he begins to tell the people to walk around. And I think on that seventh day, probably around hour five or six, the men that were walking probably got tired, probably got discouraged because they were warriors. And warriors are supposed to go to war. They're not supposed to walk. Warriors are supposed to, when you know you have more in you, God, I could do more. I know you could do more, but I'm asking you to do less. I'm asking you to trust me with the simple act of obedience. And we trust immediately, so we shout. But it's what happens during hours six and seven when you get weary, when you get tired, when you get to the point where you're tired of walking around this wall. I'm tired of believing for this miracle. I'm tired of believing for my kids. I love my kids, but I'm tired. I'm tired for believing for my business. I love that business, but I'm tired. I'm tired for believing for this thing. I love it, I know God has called me, but I'm tired, and I'd rather just walk away from walking because it's easier that way. And let me just say this. I'd rather walk with a word from God than walk around in this world without God. I'd rather walk in this world with a word Love God and love people than to wander in the world and wonder, what am I supposed to do? Who am I supposed to be? How am I supposed to respond? And what we see with Joshua is that he's leading these people and they continue to walk around the wall. And the whole time, I'm just imagining all these women just like, what is going on? Because it's interesting when you're walking in God, walking for God, But what you also know is that people are watching you walk for God. And isn't it hard to explain your walk to those that aren't walking with you? Isn't it hard to explain to people like, well, you mean if you give 10 percent to the church and you continue to serve the church with your time and your talent and your treasure and you continue to put efforts in the local church? A lot of people hear you and they're like, why are they doing that? And they will watch you. And I think that's the hardest part about walking for God is that you know that people are watching you the whole time. And when they're watching you declare blessings on Instagram that you don't have necessarily in your life, it can be conflicting at times. And the thing is that they're watching these people, and the only thing they came together to do was actually to shout. And the Bible says on Sunday, on the seventh day, after they walked around the seventh time, everybody shouted. Everybody shouted. The young boys shouted. The young ladies shouted. Old men shouted. And seasoned ladies shouted. You see what I did? I didn't call, y'all ain't old. Old men, but women ain't old. Y'all are seasoned, okay? But y'all men, y'all old, okay? Get over it. Get over it. Stop talking about 18, sir. We don't care, okay? I'm just joking. Everyone came together to shout. To shout. Why did they shout? They shout because God told them to. Why do we shout? We shout because the Bible says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. That's what the Bible says. Now, I remember the first church I ever was a part of. I'm going to say the name of the church, and you're going to know it's a black church as soon as I say it, because if it has more than six syllables, it's probably a black church. Lord's Tabernacle Holiness Church. I think it's 10 syllables, but I can't do it. It's too quick. But Lord's Tabernacle Holiness Church. That's the church I went to when I was a kid. And this church had services Five days a week. They had prayer service on Monday. They had Bible study on Tuesday. They had a youth group uh, on Wednesday. They had like young married people that then older people came to pray for the old married young married people. Then eventually everyone was there. And then on Sunday took they took a break. On Saturday they took a break, but on Sunday they came back in. And Sunday service started. Prayer started at 6 30 in the morning. It's a black church. I didn't get home till 9 p.m. that night. And the one thing I remember about this church is that my mom made me wear suits all the time, my feet were hurting, and then all the time they would praise God. The pastor would say this phrase, I didn't know what this phrase meant, I didn't understand this phrase, but he would say give God a preemptive praise and the church would go crazy. I never knew what that word was, I just knew as a kid, I'm five years old, preemptive praise, watch, one, one, two, three, there they go, there they go yelling again. Running up and down the aisle again, her wig fell off again, it's all good, God is showing up doing the work and everyone would praise God. I remember my mom moving us from Memphis to Las Vegas. I lived there for 13 years of my life. And the first thing my mom did when we moved to Vegas is that she looked for a church because my mom knew the most important thing for my children is to get them into the house of God. So my mom, I think in like three or four months, I think we visited like 12 or 13 churches. And I would go to these churches and it was so weird to me because again, I only had one understanding about church. Hey, we loud. And I would go to churches and they would talk about how good God is and they were like, give God a praise. And I would hear people be like, woo. I'm like, woo. Uh, woo. Woo if it's you, but wow if it's God because God is worthy of my praise. I'm not shouting to impress you. I'm not shouting to show you anything. I'm shouting because I know what my God has done for me. I know where he's took me from, I know where he's taking me to, and he is worthy of me lifting my voice a little bit every now and again. If it makes me uncomfortable, I'm sorry. If you get a little bit weird about it, I'm sorry, but I'm praising God because he's worthy to be praised. And when I meet people that say I don't wanna praise God, what's the alternative, going around quiet? Just defeat it and just, oh, mm, I don't want to praise him. Mm. No, sometimes when you praise him, it doesn't remind you who you are. It reminds you who he is. I, I know people that will tell me this. Well, Tyshawn, I don't praise God because it's not my personality preference. That's good because that means when you finally praise him, it's the most humbling thing you can do because we know it's actually not about you at all. It's 100% about God because it's you stepping out of yourself to give somebody something they deserve. And what's so interesting is that the hardest part was already done, the walking. The last part is the shouting. And sometimes people don't like to shout. We don't like to shout because it's not our personality. Sometimes we don't like to shout because we don't really think he's going to do it. Because disappointment has become the thing that you're more controlled about, controlled by instead of the things of God. And what happens, what I think, with a lot of us is that we get so used to our circumstance that we never want to praise God because we're too busy dwelling on the things, not of what God has done, but the things he hasn't done. So we're dwelling on discouraged things. We're dwelling on disappointment. And I want to encourage you, if you're going to dwell anything on anything, dwell on the word of God. Dwell on this book. If I'm going to dwell on anything, I'm not going to dwell on your words about me. I'm not going to dwell on my words about me. I'm going to dwell on his words about me because his words are the words that control my life. His words are the words that are going to open up promises. His words are true. His words are righteous. His words are the ways of God, and I should listen to the ways of God. But sometimes we don't like shouting, and I think the real reason that we don't like shouting is because Galatians 6-9 says, don't grow weary of doing good. For in due season, someone knows their Bible. You'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. But oftentimes, due season is later than we thought, and we did grow eerie. Some of you in this room, you don't even know when you got so tired. I was talking to someone this week, and they said, I'm so tired. I don't even know when I got like this. I've been like this for so long (laughs) that I've learned to live my life from a level of not praising God. And so because I'm tired, and because I'm weary, and because life has beaten me up, sorry, but I'ma be quiet. I'm not gonna praise him. I'm not gonna lift up a holy name. I'ma just be reserved. Because last time I lifted my voice, and last time I got excited, I got my hopes up. When I got my hopes up, it hurt. And it's better not to hope at all than to hope and not have God do anything. The Bible says in Proverbs that hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a dream fulfilled is like a tree of life. And when you get a sick heart, eventually you will get a sick perspective. And even when someone is preaching faith, you won't hear faith. You'll just hear frustration because of your sick heart. And you'll believe because of your sick heart that these sick things that you're doing are right because you have a sick perspective. You ever hear a broken person try to give you advice? Like, I know we're all broken people, but you know, there's, there's those that are like, hey, man, nothing's going right in your life. I don't think you need to be telling me what to do in my life. And you hear them, and they're so convinced that they're right because they've been in that broken, fractured state for so long that it makes sense to them. And you come to a point where because you've been disappointed and life's been hard, you've come to this place where I don't need to praise God gone through too much things. I've done too much things. I've faced too many things. I'm too tired. I don't want to praise him. I've lost. I've I've lived. I hoped, and it didn't work out. I'm tired, man. I'm tired. You know, I always wanted to be a preacher since I was 12 years old, and now that I'm doing it, I've only been preaching five years in January, but man, I was telling my wife a few months ago. I said, babe, I'm I know I'm a little too young to say this, but I'm tired. I'm worn out. These flights are getting to me. This pressure is getting to me. This season is getting to me. I'm disappointed. I thought that was going to work out with that person. I thought you were going to do it that way. I thought I'm I'm getting tired. And I want to tell you, I have seen a lot of disappointing days. I have. I, I stand in front of you. My dad wasn't there. Disappointing. I said in front of you, my mom was a single mother and she was so hard on me. She was sick a lot. She lived a whole year pretty much in the hospital. When I was 23, I got the phone call that my brother along with seven other family members were murdered in a mass shooting. I'm not standing up here just full of positivity. I've seen some stuff. I've had some days. I've had some dark days. I have come to church with my arms crossed in front of the greatest preachers, with the greatest worship leaders, and I have sat there in my arrogance of my depression, and I allowed the depression of my circumstance to define who my God is. And for months, I I would use my pain as a permission slip. You know what I've been through, so I don't have to praise him. Yeah, that's why I sit in the back. People know what I've been through. I'm the person that's sitting the back and got praise God. I said no judgment to the people who sit in the back. You can sit in the back. But. We can't use our pain as a permission slip not to walk in our promise. We can't use our pain as a permission slip not to give our God some praise. We can't use our pain as something that we're like, I don't have to walk in authority. I don't have to walk in integrity. I've gone through pain. I'm sorry, but you don't think Jesus went through pain? You don't think Jesus had some days where he was like, I don't know if I want to keep doing this. But even Jesus said, it's not my will, but your will. Not my will for me to praise God all the time, but it's your will that I do that. And there's been times that I was was reluctant to praise God. But every time I do it, MT, every time, bro, the relief that comes after, I'm like, why didn't I do that earlier? Why did I just go through life walking in obedience? You already did the hard part, church. You're already here. There were so many things that happened this week to keep you from coming to church. There were so many discouraging things that could have happened and keep you from coming in this room. But yet you fought, yet you're here, yet you gave, yet you woke up this morning. and You said, I'm going to get in the car and I'm going to go to church and I'm going to walk in obedience. I'm going to be at church. Well, now that you're here, can I encourage you to give God a shout of praise? Amen. And, and this is really why I want you to shout because I'm finally in a place when I was younger, I used to think these preachers were saying this out of rhetoric entertainment. I'm not lying. I literally thought that. They're just telling this crowd to get loud for their own reasons and for their own ego, and it's to fulfill something in them. And now that I get older, I'm gonna be honest. Praising God has nothing to do with the preacher. If you think that I get something out of you getting loud, listen, I get nothing out of it. Nothing. I got my breakthrough already. I'm good. I had my moment last night at dinner. I was crying, eating a steak. I said, like, God, you're so good. So good. Pass, pass those devil eggs in there, you know? <laughs> Praising God is not about your neighbor. It's about you. Praising God is not about personality preference. It's about God. What if I told you you're one praise away from your promise? What if I told you that the thing God is looking for you this morning is for you to show up and get loud? Because you know what getting loud about God is giving a shout of praise. You know what it does? It serves notice to the enemy. The enemy loves when you're quiet. This is how you know the enemy is winning in your life. You want to praise God. And the enemy looks at you and he's like, look at that Christian. They're doing all the good things. They're they're living right. They're walking in holiness. They're walking in obedience, but they're not praising him with his lips. And as long as I can keep them to go to church, but not really praising him, then I win. I know you're in the room, but you'll never get the miracle in your life because you're not praising him. The devil loves when Christians are quiet. He loves it. He wants it. But when you get loud, the enemy gets so confused. I remember when I got loud about him. I remember when Jordan died. Yesterday, my dad posted a photo of my brother. It's been almost I think six years now. And I remember there was so long, I was just quiet. I was working at one of the best church ever. I was at Elevation Church, and it was such a privilege of the lifetime. I wouldn't be who I am without Pastor Stephen and Holly and that ministry. And I remember working at that church, but I... I just didn't praise God. I was like, man, I'm not going to praise him. Jordan died. Jordan's dead. I'm not going to do it. And then one day, Pastor Stephen Furtick, you know, he's really good at preaching and really got those muscles and everything. Like, oh, like what like, you, you, you trying to fight the devil literally, bro? Like, calm down. I hope he never sees this. He'll beat me up. Um, But I remember his titles, his his titles are so good. He's such an incredible communicator. He preaches a sermon and he gets up and he says, my title is, it had to happen. Preached out of Acts. He talked about how, how Paul was shipwrecked and all the prisoners were going to die, but they grabbed on to some wood and. The wood became this little ghetto boat that took them to shore, and they were gonna die, but they didn't die. And he talked about how it had to happen, and he said, sometimes it has to happen for you to see God in a different way. And I was in the front row, I wasn't a preacher, I wasn't, had not have a microphone, I never held a microphone at all in that church, I was sitting in the front row. And he said, I don't know who needs this, but you need to praise God about what happened. And I was like, this man, he's going to tell me to praise God after my brother died? Yeah, because he's still worthy after your dark days. You mean you want me to praise him even though I lost my house? Yeah, because you still got a house in heaven, so you should praise him. You mean I should praise him even though my babies aren't where they used to be? I got kicked out the school district. That's how bad I am. But my mom never stopped praising God. That's why I'm preaching today. Yes, don't stop praising God. And so my main point today is simple. Obedience is a daily task. Obedience is the walking of the wall. It is you reading your word. Answer the phone. He's calling you. It is you being generous and kind. It is you humbling yourself under the mighty hand of God and trusting that at the right time, he will lift you up. It is obedience, just be obedient. But every now and again, you need to give him a praise. I love that he said, shout after obedience. He didn't say shout every day. I'm black and I don't wanna shout every day. But sometimes, just for a few seconds it's good to just get it out and what I want you to do is that I want to invite everyone to stand right now right where you are and I know there's some people in this room that are facing circumstances that I may not be aware of maybe you're going through a hard time in your marriage Maybe you're going through a hard time in your finances maybe you lost your brother and the devil somehow in all your discouragement end up stealing your praise from you. It's okay, you grew weary, it's fine, it's fine. But now, here's a moment for you to serve notice to the devil. What if you're one shot away from your marriage being restored? What if you're one shot away from getting the job that you've been believing for for years? What if you're one shot away from a healing? What if you're one shot away from security? What if you're just one shout away? I really do believe this because I'm not preaching this next service. So if you're in here, I'm gonna count to three and I'm gonna ask you to praise. I want you to prepare for this. When I say praise, I mean praise him with your lips, praise him with your hands. Some of you may be feel compelled to jump. Some of y'all may just start running. I don't know what you need to do, but all of us need to praise the Lord because he's worthy of our praise. And so as I end this sermon, I'm gonna count to three and I want everyone to give not me a shout. This is not a good job, Tyshawn. This is a God, you're worthy. God, you're good. God, I'm not giving up. God, I'm not walking away. God, you are faithful. Could we give God a shout of praise right where we are? Can you shout God? Can you just give him a praise right where you are? Notice to the enemy that we are stepping into a new season. You know what that was? That was the sound of a new season. You are stepping into a new season. When you walk through those doors, when you get in your car, when you look at your wife, when you look at your kids, you're just like, I know I look the same, but I'm not the same. I have been changed. I've been redeemed. I've been restored. Can we bow our heads? Heavenly Father, I thank you Thank you for your faithfulness. God, I I pray that that you do what only you can do. I did my part. Lord, do your part. Continue to speak to them. To the young man that wants to give up, don't you give up. To the young lady that wants to throw in the towel, don't you throw in the towel. God, I thank you that you are doing a work and you are doing a new thing. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we love you, and if you did anything, give him one more praise.
0: Come on, can we give a little hand clap for Sean this morning, bringing an incredible word. Come on, I just feel like one more time, we just need to give God some praise. In your loudest praise, let's just give God some praise. Lord, we just worship you this morning. And Lord, I just thank you for speaking to every single one of us. I mean, that was a word for not just one of you, not just a row. That was a word for every single one of us this morning. Let me give you just one thought as we're we're getting ready to leave out these doors. But as I was on the front row, Tyshawn, this is the thing that kept coming to my head. and This is an analogy that I heard recently, but I think it has such application here. You see, growing up, uh, playing sports, you do a lot of things that you don't want to do like wake up at five o'clock in the morning for conditioning practice. Don't wanna do it. And I remember uh, there was a time period where we were done with conditioning practice. We're exhausted. We've been running for an hour and a half. The last thing my coach tells me is that we have to do a 16 and one. If you know what a 16 and one is, it's not the long ways of the court, it's the short way of the court that you have to go back and forth, touching each line 16 times within one minute usually not a big deal, but at the end of the practice, it's not the words that you wanna hear. We did not make it. And my coach, very nonchalantly, with all the energy in the world, sat down in his chair, opened up a newspaper and said, not a problem, I can be here as long as it takes for y'all to get this. We ran 18, 16 and ones before we actually did it. And here's what I wanna tell you. You're not as tired or as weak as you think you are. There's a shout of praise still left inside of you. If you have breath left inside of your lungs, God is not done with you. Do you agree with me this morning? Come on, one last time. Let's give God some praise on this place. God, you're not done with this church. You're not done with anybody in this. And God, we march after everything that you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen, guys. If you want to sign up for baptism, don't forget. Put on your calendars. Worship night. We'll see you next service and next week. Amen. You've been listening to The Cathedral Podcast. If you are encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.